0: Spend time with the voices of watch collecting. A blog to watchs team broaches the most important topics in timepiece enthusiasm today. This is the Spending Time Show. Hey everyone, Ariel Adams here with Blog2Watch. This is a special discussion between myself and Tim Masso of Watchbox. Hey Tim, how you doing? Doing great, Ariel. East Coast, West Coast. Exactly. What I wanted to talk about in this video was some do's and don'ts of just getting into watch collecting, but specifically thinking about today's context. You and I got into watches in a slightly different time, but I was hoping that we could give some practical advice to people on what to do, and more importantly, what to avoid. Because I think those things to avoid is actually a little bit more educational on specifically what to do. Because there's no one way of getting into watches, but especially these days, circa 2020, a lot of pitfalls. So I thought we'd just sort of go back and forth, where I'd say like, don't do this, and you'd comment on it, and then maybe you have an idea uh, for yourself. So we'd start with what not to do, and then after that, at the end, we'll talk about what to do. Are you, you good with that idea?
1: I'm good, let's go.
0: Okay, so this is a bit controversial, and I've written this a few times, and we'll talk a little bit of context after I say it, but I think if you're just getting into watches, the first, I'll say the first two years, do not go on Instagram. Avoid Instagram for your first two years of getting into watches. I mean, you can use Instagram. Just don't look at watch stuff on Instagram.
1: I agree with that. Think for yourself because people will plant ideas in your head. And whether you acknowledge it consciously or not, it'll shape your thinking. Uh, When we were getting started, if you wanted to form your taste you would look for these overseas watch forms run by weird old guys you never met you would go on ebay or you would shop hop and i did a lot of shop hop and i know you did a lot of ebay cruising and the sheer diversity of that stuff which was neither curated nor particularly hip kind of shaped our early tastes so for me i thought that was awesome and you know it was automatic because there was no social media back then i remember back when I started, you couldn't even be on Facebook with a college email address because it didn't exist. So definitely true. Stay away from Instagram. And I would also say there are some forums like Rolex forums where you're going to discuss, guess what? Rolex, mainstream brands, popular stuff, stuff that has pop culture penetration beyond the watch space. And that's also going to warp your view of the space. So I think just sticking to self-guided research is the best way you can form your own taste.
0: Let's just sort of sum up what I mean by that. And that is that while Instagram often presents itself as a discovery engine to learn new stuff, which it can be in other contexts, in terms of watches, it it tends to reinforce the same few models from the same few brands over and over again, because that's how their reinforcement engine works. That's how they get clicks and likes, whatever. But that's ultimately not good for someone who wants to expand their horizons, get a diversity of opinions it tends to silo things, which is not what you want. So that's that's my reasoning. Okay, you agree on that one. Um, now, you, please offer some something to avoid.
1: Okay, I would say don't spend a pile of money right out of the gate. There are a lot of people who are willing to spend five thousand ten thousand fifteen thousand dollars to get into the watch hobby and i think the worst thing you can do right out of the gate is to make a huge commitment because you haven't formed your taste yet now maybe the money is nothing to you but i still feel like if you try to be too ambitious at first you're going to wind up regretting it so first do a lot of research Because research is free and you'll find that reading about watches is at least half the fun of buying watches. And then don't spend way too much money because you haven't yet formed your taste to make a huge commitment. It's like jumping straight from the first date to a kid. Maybe you're going to have a kid down the line. Great way to enhance your life and add a new dimension. But at the point of hello, you're not there yet. So I think you're more likely to make a big mistake early on if you're thinking in terms of a big splash. Form your taste first, read about everything that's out there, and get excited about stuff that's not expensive, because you might find out that's actually what you're into. That's how you get into Watch hobby. I couldn't agree with you more, and I've just
0: been thinking about all these lessons that I've tried to give people over the years that more or less fit into that wisdom. Um, There's this phenomenon that happens sometimes with people who are just getting into it, especially the people who have money. and there's these various like top 10 lists or, you know, the, the, the watches you must have in your collection. I just ignore all that. I think there's people that, especially if they have money, they're like, well, I'll just skip all this and get the top one on the list. And I'll just get from that brand because it's the best. Even if it is the best, I disagree that there's any bests in this space. But even if it is, how will you know it unless you've gone through uh, the motions of seeing all the other stuff? Knowing the best is a process of elimination. If you don't know why it's the best, then it's not the best, is it? And so if you just go straight to the top mark, so to say, I know a lot of people that, you know, they're smart. They're like, I did all my research. I'm buying that all along in Zona. I'm going straight to the top. You don't know how to appreciate it unless you've
1: seen everything else. There's no way. Yeah, I, I got to agree. It's, it's almost like you go out and you buy the oldest champagne from the grandest name, and then you just chug it. It's like you haven't built up connoisseurship. You wrote a check, you got something big, you made a splash, and then you just sort of wasted the experience. Because developing your taste as a watch collector, building you know your sense of yourself, but also your knowledge of what's out there, it's a big part of the experience, and you're robbing yourself of that if you just go straight to what you perceive at first to be the prize. So
0: there's no rush to this hobby. There's plenty of watches. Um, I don't know about you, but I, for me, when I first started – $100 was a lot to spend on a single watch. Um, I was in college at the time. eBay provided an, an endless variety of watches from a few bucks to easily under $100. I bought, for example, I would buy these like Citizen watches that basically looked like, um, like, a, like a Rolex clone. I knew it wasn't a Rolex, but I was like, it's 30 bucks and I can just see how that style fits with me whether I like this color or not, or whether I like this design or not, if, I, if I'm super into it, then yeah, I'll know that, that that actual Rolex Submariner can be on my list, but if I just went straight to the Submariner, I'd have no idea. So sampling design, sampling sizes, sampling materials, sampling colors is really, really important because you don't know how it's gonna make you feel. Like there's a watch that can make you super happy, but you grew up a little different way, you look a little bit different, Maybe that's, a, maybe that's an ideal watch for you, but it doesn't work that way for me. So just the level of diversity in, in human morphology and background and taste has such a high uh, relationship to whether or not a watch fits you. So um, look, listen to people's advice. I mean, you and I are in business because we give good advice, but I don't think it's because we tell people watches to buy. We just help them with a framework for how to understand and talk about the subject. Ultimately, you have to be your own guide. And if you don't experience um, as many watches as you can, you're not really an enthusiast because you don't really know what to compare to. So keep it simple. You're not trying to impress anyone but yourself. Um, it takes several years. I mean, like the average blog to watch audience member. I didn't, I didn't know this, but we have something like 20% of our audience has been collecting for more than 20 years. They're still coming and reading about watches on a weekly basis, often a daily basis, Even after 20 years of being into it, they're still learning. They're still discovering. Don't worry about about finding the end of the hobby because it doesn't exist. Um, And what I've actually recommended to a lot of people who have especially money and have bought the top stuff, they've got, you know, they have the Royal Oaks. They're just covered in diamonds. They have the complicated complicated Pateks. They have the exclusive Richard mail. And they're bored. And what I've said to them is like a little reset. Go back to buying $3,000 watches, go back to buying simple stuff to reacquaint yourself and start from the beginning. So if people at the top have satisfaction starting from the beginning, why would someone who is starting skip that process?
1: Yeah, I got to agree with you. I also think this might sound absolutely elementary, but I'm always amazed by how many people fall into the trap of buying something. Site unseen that they can't return. eBay was my friend back in the day when something arrived not as advertised. So if you're buying stuff remotely, in fact, with COVID, we pretty much are all doing this right now. Don't buy something remotely that you've never seen, that you've never warned that you can't return. Protect yourself as a consumer because that's the other side of the coin. Learn about watches, but also learn about the process of buying watches.
0: Okay, so here's another thing to avoid. Um, and again, this is a contentious topic for a lot of people. And this is especially a 2020 thing. I don't think that 10 years ago, I would have necessarily had this exact same advice. And there are exceptions, but for the most part, if you're just starting out in watches, avoid buying anything which is more than 20 years old.
1: Yeah, I'd, I'd go with that too.
0: It's, it's wonderful to have a vintage watch with a story that has personality, that's rare, maybe one that's valuable, but you can't wear them the same way you wear a modern watch. The materials aren't the same. The durability isn't the same. The sizes aren't the same. Servicing them is anything but a straightforward process. Forget the fact that servicing vintage watches is expensive. Good luck finding someone that knows what they're doing. Good luck finding original parts. Good luck, some, good luck finding someone who's not going to screw it up more than the condition it was in when they got it. Um, this is an area fraught with headaches being into vintage watches, buying vintage watches, servicing vintage watches is is one of the most advanced level things. I know people that have been doing this for 30 years that that have one specialist somewhere that they use to like restore, you know, Rolex bracelets. And there's this other person, some other part of the world that fixes hands. And there's this other person that only fixes certain types of chronographs. And they've got this whole like address book full of random people that are difficult to find. Like, who wants that? Who wants that nonsense? I mean, I have I have vintage watches that I just collected a few of them over the years. I've, n- I've like never worn one of them out of the house. Never had the interest. I, I'm too worried about it. So I know there's a lot of people talking about vintage watches. I know some of them can go for a high amount of money. Those are definitely the exception of the norm. Most vintage watches aren't worth very much at all. Just for the first several years, stay away from it. If you have a particular birth year model you're into, or there's Some special thing, yeah, get a few here and there, but for the most part, stick with watches that are 20 years old or newer.
1: Yeah, and I'd agree with that for even a couple of other reasons, too, because once you get into vintage, you start realizing really disturbing stuff, like there are factories you can't trust to service their own vintage watches, like you can build a vintage watch from an assembly of parts, and it'll look (laughs) convincing. Uh, Like, it's really difficult to tell the difference between a counterfeit 30-year-old dive watch and the real thing. because modern watches, and this is true of everything from dials to bracelets to movements, they're built to a standard that didn't exist 40, 50 years ago, and they're a lot harder to counterfeit. Like it's really tough to make, say, a counterfeit JLC Amvox two chronograph. Why? Because it's an articulated case, manufacture movement, pusherless chronograph that's worth maybe eight thousand dollars used, and it's immensely complicated. You would need an industrial plant to make a fake version of that watch, and by that. you've basically got the JLC factory. So with newer stuff, it's just harder to fake. And vintage, like you said, it's just a nightmare to get it back to wearable. Sometimes the restoration, the part sourcing, the fact that you can't take your vintage dive watch diving, all that sort of stuff. It's a very acquired taste. And for me, vintage just isn't that sexy because it's such such a hornet's nest. Um, I, I would say dabble in it through a friend. Meet a friend who's really into vintage and then let that guy be your guru. Don't start on your own. Have a leader.
0: Okay, with that said, what's the next thing to avoid?
1: I would say the next thing to avoid is having no collecting philosophy or alternatively, too rigid a philosophy. Like for me, I got into collecting after a long time of thinking very hard about what I wanted my collection theme to be. And I was thinking, I'm going to collect Le LeCoultre. I'm going to collect the important pieces, a watch, each watch representing something from their history or an important mastery of the manufacturer. So every watch will have a purpose. Every watch will be from that one brand. Part of this was because I wanted a very focused collection. Part of it was because I genuinely love JLC. And part of it was because it was essentially my safeguard against buying everything I liked, which was everything, so I'd be broke. Um, That was too rigid a collection, because I wound up buying watches that were important to JLC historically, but maybe weren't watches that I really loved. at the same time, if you just love everything, you wind up making a lot of mistakes. If you, you need to know what it is you like about watches. If you realize, I like sports watches, that might be enough. That protects you from buying the ultra-thin watch that you're not going to wear much, and when you do, you're going to break. So having a philosophy makes it fun because it's like solving a puzzle, and you find new pieces of that puzzle, and it lends some direction and meaning to your journey. But don't be the super rigid guy. Don't be me. That's the mistake I made. There's a lot of
0: good advice there, um, and I think a lot of it is relates to your personality. I've definitely met those individuals that have created those, as you say, rigid parameters around their collection, where they stick to one brand, or I, this one guy I remember, it was just sort of funny because it was kind of, you know, a, a, little, a little random, but he just collected watches with brown dials. And I've met people like this in the past. And what I've realized is that narrowing the scope is actually psychologically more comfortable for them because the true universe of watches is so big, if you're just into anything you like, you could never afford that and it becomes overwhelming. So I agree that you you can't just say, I'll buy anything and you should have some idea. With that said, looking at my own trajectory, I put price limitations on myself, right? So that was my limitation. I said, I'll buy things in a certain way. I like buying used watches. I like buying it from other watch enthusiasts myself. So my natural limitation, which was what was available in that context, like I like peer-to-peer. So I'd be super happy buying from someone like you that has a watch you don't want. I love doing those transactions. I've done a lot of them, but I wouldn't necessarily want to go to a store and buy it brand new. So for a lot of people, there's sort of a commercial restriction, but I agree, give yourself some type of parameters to work with it. You look at my collection, it's it's actually kind of the polar opposite of yours. I didn't care anything about historical significance, da, 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 da. I just got stuff that I thought I would like to wear. That was my rule. If I want to wear it, get it. If it's just going to be nice and sit in a box somewhere, maybe once in a while. I have those watches. You know, I have some things that are just like, you know, this is really cool. But usually what I don't wear them is because I'm afraid of messing them up. It's not that I wouldn't wear them, you know? Like, there's some Seiko I have, I don't even know where it is, I was looking for it, I, think I don't know where it is, but some early 80s Seiko, and it's coated in black, and that black coating rubs off easily, right? So, I have this new old stock Seiko watch that I don't want to wear, because it won't be new old stock anymore. So, <laughs> you know what I mean, that, that happens from time to time, but if I was your rank and file collector and my collection is 10 watches or under, all of a sudden I have one that just sits in a box and I stare at it once in a while and I think, boy, wouldn't it be nice if I could wear this thing once in a while? Um, So I'd say, for me, focus mostly, mostly on watches that you can wear, that you will wear, depending on whatever your own tastes are. And, you know, like you said, Tim... It depends on yourself, and I think it, it, it's, it's going to matter from person to person. But give yourself some type of limitation, because otherwise you're going to be overwhelmed. Um, it might just be watches that are available at a certain price point on eBay. That's enough to narrow it down, I think.
1: I think uh, that's, that's definitely a great way to look at it. Just have a theme, but don't have too rigid a theme. And define that personally, however you like. Let's so, talk about what we should do. Let's oh. talk about, well, you go first. Well, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to figure out
0: how to give advice on the sort of perpetual learning part of it, right? Um, you should constantly be open-minded to the idea that there's information out there which is hard to get that you have to hunt. Uh, a really good example is a lot of the information on watches out there is not in English. If sure. you just read uh, News releases, for example, or statements that the brands tell you in English, you're getting a small piece of it. Um, There's all these articles that were written in French, for example, from the last 30 years about the watch industry, and you read those and you get a completely different picture of the watch industry than the ones in English. Um, Something about constantly reading, not just about models, but about brands, about history, about where, who wore watches and things like that, allows you as a collector to develop not just more maturely, but to be able to wipe away a lot of the fluff. There's a lot of fluff that comes at you. There's a lot of lying that comes at you. Brands will lie to you all day long. So do be a skeptic. Do recognize that despite a lot of people's best efforts, um, even people like us, we get it wrong sometimes. You and I care a lot, but some of our colleagues don't. There's a lot of manipulation that goes on right now. So be your own judge. Um, don't, Don't be influenced, but you know, do yourself a favor and do the research. It will coincide with a much higher level of enjoyment as a collector in the long run.
1: Totally agree. And I think another important aspect of being a collector is trying to find a way to make it an extended experience. Like purchases can give you a certain amount of satisfaction, but it really needs to be a vector to an experience. Like take a look at baseball. There's just not enough baseball and there's not enough football for the games themselves to be the entirety of your baseball addiction. So you read, you are into sabermetrics. You buy baseball cards and memorabilia. You go to car show, card shows, and eventually you create a bigger experience that becomes a hobby and a lifestyle. And watches are like that. You can't drop ten thousand dollars on a watch every month. So what are you going to do? You're going to read lots and learn as much as you can. A great way to do that is to go and mine the archives on the blog to watch because reading is free and you can learn so much and make that part of the experience. And then branch out, go to events in person, meet other collectors. Now you've got people to talk to, find forums that you like, and you're going to have to shop around. I went through a lot of forums that I wound up hating and left and never came back before I found the one I I like, which is Watch Pro Site, Purists Pro. So I go there and now I've got thousands of posts there and that's all good fun. But find a way to take what's fundamentally just a series of infrequent isolated purchases Make it a lifestyle, make it fun, make it social, make it sustainable, so you get to the point where you can enjoy watches even when you're not immediately engaged in the purchase of one.
0: Could you expand? I don't want to tell you what to say next, but you said make it social, and I think that yeah. was such an important point. Can you expand on that as sort of the next thing we should do?
1: Yeah, definitely. Find a group of people you respect and trust and you know engage with them. Most of the time that's going to be online. Um, Sometimes it's gonna be in-person meets. There might be a watch club near you. They might advertise on a message board online. Find out if that's the case because those could be cool dudes to know. If there are guys around your office who are wearing unusual watches, strike up a conversation. And remember that wherever you are in the world, there are gonna be some events um, from LA to New York to Europe where people get together to talk watches, look at watches, and sometimes even buy watches. So definitely meet people because the people I've met in this industry have been by far the most enjoyable and memorable parts. Watches do come and go from the collection. Well, maybe not for you because you don't sell, but the people are forever. And that's a big part to me. Use your resources to find people, engage with them, and then keep those friendships.
0: Yeah, I I would say that I think for a lot of people, this hobby doesn't become a real part of their life until they have someone to share it with watches are a fantastic vector for lifelong friendships Um, because it's not just that you and someone else might like watches. What got you to liking watches is probably a whole series of things that you have in common. Shared values, shared education, maybe some shared exposure, and it's actually the differences sometimes between your tastes that makes things interesting. So I started a blog to watch because I lacked enough of the social element within my world um, you may have had a little bit of like that where you realize once you start talking to people, like, oh my God, watch collecting was so lonely. I mean, I, there's definitely for me as a collector, a before and after a blog to watch phase where it being more of a social thing really allowed me to blossom. I, I'm not saying I bought any, any more or fewer watches, but being able to have the friendship component um, doesn't, make it, doesn't make it feel a sort of nerdy a hobby. Uh, I, I've, I've heard sometimes watch collectors that do it in isolation compared to like stamp
1: collecting. You just, know, I didn't even realize there was such a thing as a watch collecting hobby when I got started. I liked watches, but I thought you, you might as well like bottle caps. Like it's just not a hobby. It's not a thing. No one else in the world feels <laughs> this way. And then I found out it was a thing. And all of a sudden I was off to the races. And that led me to people, real people, who often also liked cars, often liked machines, often liked history, liked to read. Um, You know, it was just incredible the doors that it opened towards finding people who were like me, and I don't find a lot of people like me in everyday life. I'm kind of a quiet, kind of secluded, kind of, I would say somewhat withdrawn, introverted guy. And watches bring me out into the world in a way that nothing else really does. So that was a big deal for me.
0: Let's think about more things that we, we should do. Um, I'm trying to frame this into a to-do statement. Yeah. And I, I, I don't want to speak, because again, this is, this is one of those controversial statements, because our industry thrives on people going out and, and buying brand new watches, and, and they shouldn't stop doing that. And there's nothing wrong with buying a watch brand new. In fact, I, I encourage people going out and spending retail price. Um, and this is, a, this is a don't, but I'll just throw it in here. Don't ever spend over retail price.
1: Bing, 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 bing.
0: Okay, never. You want to spend retail price? No problem. Friends don't let friends spend over retail price. I'll, that, I'll say to that. But the point I want to get to is that you should focus on value for the first few years of being a watch collector. Um, and here's the reason why I've known people that early on in their watch collecting career, especially if they have money, have ended up buying watches that they later learned were overpriced, or they could have got the same watch for less, or it just wasn't a good value proposition for them because their intention was resale. And what can happen is your entire enthusiasm with the hobby can evaporate if you have a financial gripe with it. And you're going to get a financial gripe with it if you believed you were buying some value, and it ended up being different value. And so, the way to mitigate that worry is by focusing on buying the best values possible. That doesn't necessarily mean the biggest discounts, but buy watches that are very much within what you can afford. And if you feel uncomfortable, the price point, you really got to know the competitor. If you're going to spend $80,000 on a watch, you can get an amazing watch, but you can that purchase can go really wrong really, really fast. If you don't ultimately know what will make you happy at $80,000, Please don't just buy the first $80,000 watch that, that comes your way because you want to be that individual wearing an $80,000 watch. I understand the emotion, but you don't want to walk around being fearful that someone that knows better is going to look at your $80,000 purchase and be like, oh, that should have been $30,000. I don't know why you spent 80 dollars um, The retail market doesn't really help. Nautilus in that case. Okay, okay, you know, I wasn't thinking that, but yeah, that's a, it's a, I'm not making up those numbers, right? That's a That's a very real sentiment. That's Um, that's almost exactly
1: market right now.
0: (laughs) There's a shame involved in wearing a watch publicly in a social environment where someone will make judgments about you. And even if no one knows what you spent on the watch, you'll know. And it will probably stop you from buying watches. I've seen a lot of collectors halt in their tracks Because they made a mistake where they overspent on something to begin with. They don't trust the hobby anymore. They don't trust dealers anymore. And these are people that might have otherwise been very accomplished collectors that just never really got into it. So I guess that, again, just making the statement is do your best to focus on value the first few years until you get comfortable. There's nothing wrong with spending a boatload of money on a watch. You should just know what you're getting and know that you'll feel comfortable after you get it.
1: Yeah, and also it it helps to think about what adds value to a watch. Sometimes value is getting a lot of watch for your money. You know, we were talking before about brands like Parmigiani, Chopard, Arnold and Son, where sometimes the product is you know among the best you can find, but oftentimes there are some incredible pre-owned buys to be had. You know, that's that's a great example of value: what you get for the price you pay. Uh, For me, value often, you know, there are other ways to describe it too. Engineering innovation, aesthetic innovation, longevity of a design, immunity to planned obsolescence, handcrafted facets and features. Like for me, if a guy has to actually invest handcraft in metadata or in regulation or in assembly, that's something that's tangible and not necessarily mass-producible. So that adds value from my standpoint. Um, So all of those things add value, at least as I perceive it. Now, here's the problem. When your sense of value is guided by popularity, that is more of an illusion of value. So if the watch you see most often strikes you as a great thing to own because you think it's hot, it's hip, and in some way that's peripheral really to the collecting hobby, it's going to bring you credibility, then I think that's where you need to double clutch and rethink because that's not value. That's more of an illusion, and that's a self-deception.
0: I would just add a simple rule that I think encapsulates what we're talking about, and that is, by human hours, the number of hours that went into designing the watch, assembling the watch, especially decorating the watch, this is those more true areas of inherent value that transcend things like the emotion of demand. So... If you're asking yourself, why does a watch cost this amount of money? If you can't come up with an explanation, which goes back to human hours or, or effort, then that is a fleeting purchase that, whose value is more um, dictated by current human emotion. And as we know in every type of, uh, I'll just call it an investor or an asset market, those emotions change. And the values of things fluctuate with emotion, having nothing to do with something's inherent value. So um, there are people in the watch space that make a living off of trading on these differing human emotions. They say, this is something that'll be in demand in a couple of months. So I'm going to buy a bunch of them now and then try to boost up uh, the popularity. These types of tactics happen all the time. Um, they happen a lot within the auction houses, when then sort of extended you know, marketing practices and things like that. I, I recommend that people um, look at these practices with an enormous amount of skepticism. Um, these are not stocks. <laughs> um, they are not things that are designed to be traded in that way. Uh, these are items that were designed to to be purchased, to be worn. Um, you know, I mean, how many owners can a watch have before it just gets weird? Four owners? I mean, I know there's a lot of people in the pre owned area that would just like love the idea of there being 10 owners per watch. Um, I think at, at some point the consumer loses there, right? I think at some point the consumer has to say, I need to go back to buying value and and long-term appeal that that someone who's skilled in the area will recognize is there if you're just banking on temporary human demand and emotion i'm not really sure what you're doing is watch collecting
1: yeah i mean ultimately on the basis of human energy invested the ultimate watch would be some kind of complicated Bovet that is simultaneously enameled gem set, miniature painted and engraved. Like that's, that's an impressive definition of value. And that's pretty close to, as far as I'm concerned, the real definition of value. How much time a dude with skill or a dudette put into a watch. I'm going to add a do. And it's related to something you just said. Do treat auctions as entertainment only. (laughs) Do not look at this as investment guidance or a buy order concerning any watch or class of watches. Look at them as, at best, a way of entertaining yourself with some sort of watch-related extremity. It's almost like a monster truck rally. You would never do that with your car or your truck, but it's very entertaining. Treat that as, I don't know, just, It's La La Land, it's fantasy, it's a Hollywood movie with a happy ending, but do not buy the watch that you think is gonna be the next auction darling, or the watch that's currently an auction darling, and whatever you do, don't buy a watch that's like it because it looks similar, and you think someday it's gonna make you money. Auctions are for entertainment only, or if you have that weird grand complication, consign it to auction, but that's an audience that's small.
0: You and I have both talked about this a lot and I've probably been one of the, the biggest advocates against the watch auction market because its, it's influence on the, on, on the larger industry has been, um, I don't wanna say negative, but not good. <laughs> Nobody benefits, consumers don't benefit, brands don't benefit, only the auction houses benefit. Um, they're in it for themselves. And like you said, it is entertaining to see what one rich person does on one given afternoon in one city somewhere. You don't know the context behind that. Don't take it seriously. Um, the price that a watch achieves at auction, to me, is is gossip worthy, but not newsworthy. It doesn't actually communicate what a market values. Um, let's, let's go for just one more, I'll come up with one <laughs> more thing that, we sh- that, that a new collector should do. Um, there's sort of a lot of ways of phrasing this, but I think the most important thing And and this sort of goes back to, I think, the overall theme of this is buy watches for you. The watch should be something that you want to wear that says something about you that sort of allows you to live, even temporarily, the manifestation of a fantasy you have in your mind. If you want to be like an action hero one day, wear that watch which makes you feel like an action hero. You want, to be, um, you want to be an army soldier, wear that military watch that day. You want to feel like a sophisticated industrialist, um, put that nice dress on with that suit. Use those watches to help you um, feel the way about yourself that you want to feel. They're kind of, and I hate to sort of cheapen it, but they're sort of a very powerful costume piece, right? Um, it's like wearing a cape. It, it makes you feel a certain way, it may not actually give you superpowers, but Watches have an incredible emotional effect on the wearer. And so what you need to focus on is watches that will give you that emotional effect. Don't wear something because somebody else told you to wear it, wear it because you want to wear it, because it makes you feel good. Those are the watches that you'll ultimately keep in your, in your collection the longest. It's gonna have nothing to do with what's popular out there. Know what watches are good for the money. That's a great tool uh, that you can derive from the conversation with people or people agree that this watch is worth the money, you might want to consider it. But style is as individual as the person, and you must celebrate the diversity and the amount of watches that exist because it means there's stuff out there which is so appropriate for you, while there's other stuff out there which is completely irrelevant for you. And there's no shortcuts to that. You just have to try, try, and try again.
1: Agreed, That the the trial and error factor, especially since if we can admit this, Watches do have a big fashion component, even for guys, and I think we often don't acknowledge that. But that's at the heart of what you're saying. I acknowledge course, it. Personal style is, to a large extent, about fashion, and what a fun way to celebrate!
0: Everyone, thank you so much for listening. To this uh, one of many think- conversations we've had about getting into watches. I hope that novice watch collectors out there can hear some of our wisdom, feel a little bit empowered to go on their own, find their own communities. Um, a blog to watch has. Like over 9,000 articles on this topic. Um, Tim, you and your team have produced endless videos and things like that. Um, Honestly, between the content that we've made, I think that's pretty much everything that someone needs outside of some little niche content here and there. Um, Thank you so much for joining me. Let's do this more. Again, I'm Ariel Adams with a blog to watch, joined by Tim Maso, Watchbox. Thank you so much.